Blog Talk Radio. For this Sunday, November 13th, 2016, I'm JB along with EJ joining you on the Sunday evening. Glad to have you along after a bit of a postseason hiatus for us. Um, EJ, I got to tell you, it's kind of nice to have a couple weeks to kind of get uh, get back our thoughts and everything, but I'm ready for a little bit of escapism. Uh, as let, let, Let's be honest. Thankfully, the one thing we could say about the things that have just gone on in this country is on no way, shape, or form was uh, abandoning opening day on the ballot this year. So I say let's go forth and enjoy the off season. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, we could have, in all likelihood, we could have done a show, and it would have been a very good show, probably after the, the one-game playoff loss. But I, I'll be honest, I think neither of us really had it in us. I think we were both kind of just super bummed out, and we didn't want to do a super bummed out show. Lord knows that. We did enough of those prior to last year, so there, there's no need to revisit that. And it's given us time to kind of sit back, reflect a little bit about what this season really was. And I think at the end of the day, I just can't sit here and say that the season wasn't successful given the, the rash of injuries that befell the Mets this year. So I definitely have a different perspective today than if we had done a show the day after the playoff game. Yeah, I mean, I think for me the um... – the reality is that uh, for that one game, especially because, you know, it was not that game was not an emotional roller coaster so much as it was an emotional cliff um, in the ninth inning. And I think that, uh, you know, for this team in, in doing a show the following day, um, I don't you know, for as much as I was even saying prior, you know, I was saying throughout the month of September on this show that, uh, you know, I'm just enjoying this because none of this should be happening. Uh, with who's left on this roster, uh, even for me, crestfallen to say the least. But uh, you know, still one of the most encouraging things I saw out of that one game playoff is, is the the reality that I think with this appearance in this game, this high profile game, Noah Syndergaard has to be in the conversation to be among the top pitchers in the National League. You know, I I definitely think he has to be in the conversation. I think he has to be in the conversation of probably the top one or two at this point, even though he did see some great performances throughout the postseason. But I'll tell you, the thing about Noah that I just love is it wasn't just this one game. It just felt like he is locked up in a big game. He puts on a big-time performance, whether it was the postseason last year, whether it was a critical game in September. Heck, even if it was just a series against the Nationals when we were jockeying to the top of the the division – it just feels like this is a kid who, when the bell rings on the biggest stage, he is ready to answer the door and he is ready to just mow down the competition. Something He has one of those mentalities, call it a Michael Jordan mentality, where when the heat is on, that's when he puts in his best performances. You know, and, you know, I look at that game and the, the lone commentary I'm going to make is that, at least for the Mets standpoint, uh, the game was over after three innings in hindsight because of the, math, the fact that they were sw- swinging way too early at Madison Baumgartner, giving him the pitch count to be able to get as far into the game as he did. But you have yep. to look at it strictly from the p- pitching perspective on almost every count of that minus the W and the L. 
Noah Syndergaard damn near outpitched Madison Baumgartner, who really is also in that top three conversation of the league, along with probably Kershaw and Arietta. He absolutely might have pitched a better game when you think about it. And you're right, the Mets hitters really not giving him any help by, by letting Baumgartner go so far in that game. But you're right. I mean, Noah, it just seemed like he was looking across the mound at Baumgartner and said, whatever you do, I can do better. And they were just going – as a non if there was a non fan a baseball fan but not a fan of either of those teams that must have been just an amazing game to watch as just a pure baseball fan because this was and I hate to use so many cliches in one day but this was a heavyweight battle and these two guys were both trying to swing the haymaker and knock the other one out and it was really really fun to watch even though it also had me feeling like I wanted to vomit the whole time yeah, it was certainly among the more tense games that I've ever had uh, watching this team. And, uh, you know, again, you know, still very, very thankful that they got as far as they did, um, especially with who they had playing and who they didn't have playing. Um, I think that um, obviously a lot of things, Madison Baumgartner has the unique ability in baseball, I think, to expose pretty much any team's weakness if it's offensive. Um, so, I mean, that's just the kind of guy. And this was the matchup we'd been saying for weeks we had hoped wouldn't happen. I mean, that's the thing. Most of us were secretly in the back of our heads going, saying something we dare not say publicly and go Cardinals um, that, uh, you know, then we wanted to admit we wanted no part of Madison Baumgartner in that game. And uh, alas, you know, we got him and we certainly paid for that. And, you know, I think that in the long run, there are two end, there are two end effects for it, both of which benefited the eventual world series victors. Uh, one, they didn't have uh, the Cubs didn't have to spe- face Madison Baumgartner more than once, and, and two, the Cubs didn't have to face the Mets. Yeah, absolutely, because we knew what the Mets had done to them both this year and last year, and I felt like the Mets just would have matched up very well with the Cubs. You're right; it was worst case scenario, and I, I was open about saying it on this podcast that I wanted no part of Baumgartner, and that I, I desperately wanted to, to take on the Cardinals. And it's just, it's one of those things where I've never been a huge fan of the one game playoff, but I kind of respect it a lot more now, if that makes sense. Uh, I, I feel like you, they really honed in the importance of a being the first home team because that crowd was amazing. Granted, didn't go our way, but that was one rocking crowd and B win your division. It has never been more clear to me how important that is than when my own team gets knocked out in the one-game playoffs. Next year, that needs to be the number one goal of the Mets. We are not sitting there in October again as dejected as we were because one of our guys went out there and pitched his guts off, but somebody else went out there and maybe just pitched a tiny bit better or their bullpen was a tiny bit better, and we're knocked out again. That cannot happen again. They need to absolutely dominate the Nationals, who are not getting better, at least as of yet in this uh, free agency offseason, but they need to dominate the division. They need to dominate the bad teams in the division and make no mistake about it. The Atlanta Braves are not going to be as anywhere nearly as bad as they were at the first half of this season. You look at what they did in the second half. They're a 500 team. They're going to be a pain in the neck next year. So you've got to win those division games, and you've got to do what the Mets did very well this year. They beat up on bad teams later in the year, and that's what they're going to have to repeat next year. But they have to repeat it to a tune better than what the Washington Nationals do. And uh, one thing I'll do here as we're talking is take a quick look, because we certainly, ha- obviously, for quite some time, have had uh, the Mets 2017 schedule, and I'm not, I'm not sure how it favors exactly the uh, 
the uh, towards the end of the season of the second half. So, you, I mean, obviously you have to look at the in league and um, in ca- you know the, the games you're going to be playing and when they're going to be playing them. But uh, let's let, let's use the mention of the Braves here to transition to some of the moves they made this week. Uh, one, uh, it's certainly questionable because it seems like he's past his prime, and that's bringing in former Met R.A. Dickey for their rotation. But the one that you could hear the hearts break around New York, I know mine was one of them, Bartolo Colon. Yeah, that really hurt. I thought Bartolo was coming back for sure. I thought he desperately wanted to come back. He's such a force in the clubhouse. He's such a force amongst the fan base. I mean, I I can't recall a lot of guys who became such a fan favorite in only two years with the team. And beyond all the stuff of him being the mascot kind of, him being such a character, is the fact that he at certain points of the season was our most consistent pitcher. So that's where it it really hurts that – you knew with Bartolo, he's going out there and he's giving you six, he's giving you a quality start. He's giving you six innings and three runs or less, and a lot of times it was less. So that's I kind mean, that's of the thing. You had a couple bad Bart starts a year, but otherwise, yeah, you had literally one of the most solid, uh, consistent pitchers in the National League. Exactly. And that's why I think it hurts so much. Plus, with the health of our other young stud pitchers right now, he was a beautiful insurance policy to have. Unfortunately, what the Braves did. They just gave him so much money that you can't afford to pay that type of premium on an insurance policy. No, I mean when you look at twelve point five million dollars for a guy who's going to be probably, I would guess, the third starter in that rotation down in Atlanta, uh, with probably slotting R. A. Dickey in fourth, and then probably a competition for the fifth slot in spring training for them. Uh, but uh, you have a guy who's going to get a decent amount of starts. He's going to get to be able to go after that record he's wanted to get for. Uh, uh, for pitching, and um, the you know, the um, the reality of it is, the Mets didn't have a quote unquote role for him. He'd probably get some starts. He'd be that sixth starter as long as everybody was healthy. Uh, otherwise, he's your long guy out of the bullpen. And you know, I, I'm going to tell you this right now, as, as somebody who's advocated that the Mets spend more but spend it wisely, 13 million to top that deal for a guy who's a spot starter, long reliever, not my idea of wise spending. No, not in the least bit. When I look at the guy who would fill that role, I always for some reason go back to Darren Oliver. Because I feel like he's, he did it better than anyone's done it in my time as a Mets fan, of being that swing man like that, where any time he's going to come out and make a start, it was going to be a solid one. And any time he came in long relief, he was going to get the job done. I feel like Bart would have done that. So Darren Oliver was the best ever, in my opinion, and I wouldn't even come close to giving him $12 million. I, just, I would never have justified that contract with Bartolo. Uh, good for him for getting it. I mean, serious props for him to getting it. If you had told me, asking coming into the offseason, what was Bartolo going to get, I probably would have said no higher than 10 years with maybe a second-year option or $10 million with maybe a second-year option. So for him to get 12.5, props to his agent. Yeah, absolutely. And just to give you an idea, the, the month of September – uh, mind you, the Mets season wraps up on the 1st of October. looks like this. Open up the month of September in Houston. Uh, then home against Philly and Cincinnati. Head to Chicago for three. Atlanta for three. Miami for three. Home against Washington, Atlanta. And then head to, to Philly to end the season. So you got about wow. a 50-50 split there on teams that are going to be 500 and 500 over. You figure the Astros are going to be good. They, they almost made a run for it this year. And they're only <laughs> with their young studs, they're only getting better. Um, they, they certainly have some holes and some work to do this offseason, but they're going to be good. Uh, Phillies, they're going to be better, but not marketably so. 
Cincinnati, I got to think, is going to stink. I think they're going to stink to high yeah. heaven. Uh, the Cubs, well, you know, we've had their number the past couple of years, but, you know, you're in Wrigley in September. You just don't know what to expect. Atlanta, we have no idea what, how that new stadium is going to play. We don't think they're going to be more than a 500 team, but you just don't know. Miami, they have a way of beating us in the end of the season, so I, I never try to predict there, but that should be okay for us. Three games against Washington, that's, that could be for the Hall ball of wax. That right there yep. could be the season. Um, and then three games against Atlanta at home, and then three games against Philly. So you figure, hopefully, you can figure out, fin- you know, finish the season with at least two out of three. But you know, for somebody, if you're looking for that easy that September like we had, it ain't there. Yeah, I don't want to come out of that national series needing games because those last six no. in, in division rivals who would just love to be a thorn in our side and play uh, play spoiler. I do not want to need games at that point. I want to be able to look at those series and say it would be nice to take two or three here, but it's not exactly a dire necessity. If they go into those series needing four of those last six games or even more, uh, that's going to make me really nervous, and you're going to expunge a lot of energy trying to win those games playing almost playoff atmosphere-type games. Now, conversely, EJ, we looked at the beginning of the season. Of course, the old adage is you can't win a championship in April, but you can lose one. Now, if they lose one here, we've got a problem. We've got, we open up at home with three against Atlanta, three against Miami, head to Philly, head to Miami. Then you've got Philly and Washington in, along with Atlanta, and then Washington. So really, your wow. only guaranteed winners are the six against Washington. But if you lose all six of those... You're in oh, yeah. deep crap. And at the same time, they could logistically get off to a type of run like they did last year, which was in the incredible 11-game rip that they had. They could do Those 12 games, I could easily, if everybody's back and, and we're playing with a full boat and we'll get into who we might be playing with in a minute, but if, if we have a, a, a legit offense again and the pitchers are back, you could legitimately see them snap off double digits to start the season, which would really – Let's face it, that's how, we, that's how we got the jump on Washington last year, and that would be a nice way to do it again this year. Yeah, I agree completely. I agree completely. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer, get out of the gate strong. You don't have to be as panicky later in the season. I'm a big believer in that. I certainly uh, – yeah, I think that comes from being a fan of the 86 Mets. I think that's where that, that probably comes from. But, uh, you know, I, I like it better when they're chasing you. It's, you know, one, it's better for the blood pressure as a fan. Um, and, and two, it's just a better, it's always better to be in the power position so that you can, if you, if it happens, lose a game here or there. Yeah, definitely. You want to be the hunted. You don't want to be hunting because you never know if it happened through the season. You get that big jump in April. It makes, and let's face it, this team will have injuries again at some point next year. So you get a nice, comfortable lead. It makes it much easier to sustain those injuries when you're having to call up the reinforcements. Yeah, absolutely. It gives room. Like, I mean, a great example I always point to is uh, the 86 Mets when Gary Carter went down with a torn thumb. He was out for nearly a month, and the Mets, basically with Ed Hearn behind the plate, um, kept pace and actually picked up the pace just a little bit on the second-place Phillies. Um, a good, solid team, and, and there's nobody. I mean, I love Ed. I mean, he's been on the show. He is a great guy, one of my favorite people. Uh, Ed ain't Gary, and yeah. nobody about it would say that about his career, most of all Ed. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, you, you, you could do just as well with lesser talent if you've got a great team. 
And, uh, you know, I think that with this particular team, you have a guy go down because, you know, even statistically speaking, you know, this year's injury is not aside. What, what are the odds that the, the, the rotation of Syndergaard, uh, DeGrom, Harvey, Wheeler, and Matt, so if that's your five that you're going to battle with, and it probably is, uh, what, what are the odds that all five of them are healthy from opening day till the end of the playoffs, wherever they may be? Statistically, not good. Yeah, and that's without that. the injuries they've had. Yeah, at the very least, you know that one of at the very least one of them will have some sort of arm fatigue at some point. Uh, it's, you, you're just hoping for the avoid the lengthy DL stint. If we keep a couple of these guys, only uh, I'm comfortable with that compared to this year. But you're right. There's no way that entire rotation stays healthy through the whole year. It's not even a Mets thing. That's a Major League Baseball thing. You, you're not going to get five horses who throw the ball as hard as these five guys do. You're not getting them all completely unscathed through a season. So that's why uh, Sandy's work this offseason, that's uh, definitely going to be an area to, to address, to make sure that one of these, when these horses go down, that he's got the reinforcements that you said can just maintain until they get back. You know, and obviously Seth Lugo and Robert Gazelman both proved that they are capable major league pitchers, and I would expect yep. that uh, you know one of one of one of them will fill that the the role that Bartolo Colon would have for this team, um, along with probably the other one being in the pen as well. Now the pen is certainly an area where the Mets will be doing much overhauling, um, and one of them very well possibly I would think Gazelman, as he's the younger of the two, may start the season as the number one starter in Las Vegas. That's certainly possible as well. Uh, but um, you, know, you have two guys there uh, who are, are certainly capable of stepping into the rotation, but uh, you know, it's definitely not the depth that I think some people wish we had a shadow rotation, if you will, uh, ready to step in at any given moment, because you know what you want to do is sit there waiting for you know, <laughs> someone to get hurt. But um, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Mets towards the end of the season, sign somebody to a minor league deal, a veteran starter who could potentially do, be a long man, basically a discount version of Bart to stash at Las Vegas. Um, I could definitely see something like that happening because realistically, apart from those two, at least at the AAA level, and uh, we'll definitely get one of our minor league experts to join us here in the next couple weeks and talk about this, at least pitching wise at the upper levels right now, not a lot to work with. Cause I think if we've learned one thing and I'd be amazed if he's in the organization come spring, Rafael Montero is not the answer, my friend. No, unfortunately, he never was able to figure out his command, and it's really a shame because I, I've said it before. There was a time that we considered him part of what was known as a big three then, along with uh, Harvey and Wheeler. He was he was the third guy up. Nobody was talking about the Grom. It was Montero, but unfortunately, the kids just never got it together. And I don't think the organization really has much faith in him at this point. And I agree, I don't think he'll still be on the team come spring training. And, uh, I mean, as far as Lugo and Gassaman go, I love them both. I think they both showed us so much heart last year and really surprised a lot of us coming out of nowhere. But you also do have to think of the distinct possibility of what if 2016 happens all over again? And guess what? They're not enough. You're going to need more reinforcements because, unfortunately, if the injury bug hits as hard next year as it did this year, two guys ain't enough. You're going to need more than that. And, uh, like you said, there's not a lot ready to go right now in-house or in the organization. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of those things where I think that the uh, the minor league staff is going to be combing that uh, 
the non-tenders. They're going to be looking at a lot of the uh, a lot of the guys who don't sign in the off season, and I think you're going to see, like I said, a veteran starter or two. It's not going to be a sexy name by any means. It's certainly not going to be a big sexy name. Uh, but I think I think you are going to see a a, a one or t- possibly two uh, veteran starters that are lacking a job that are willing to uh, hang out in the minor leagues for at least a couple months. Uh, to see if they can't win a role on this team eventually, uh, be signed by this team. I think that would be extremely wise of the, the Mets minor league staff to, to work on this offseason. Yeah, a move similar to last year, uh, picking John Neese back up, something along those lines. I could definitely see that happening. And uh, just giving yourself the reassurance that if you do have to call that guy back up from the minors, that he could at least go out there and hopefully throw a quality start for you and you hopefully wouldn't have to rely on that guy for too long for a good portion of the season, but he can at least keep you in a ball game if need be. Yeah, it, it's it, basically what I'm looking for is a guy who can do exactly that, and for his his signing to a minor league contract just to annoy Mets Twitter just enough to get a couple of good hours of popcorn eating in place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It would drive people nuts. I think it would probably drive me nuts, but it would actually be a pretty uh, pretty prudent move by Sandy Alderson. Yeah, I mean, and I think that that's, I mean, that's the same thing. I mean, you look at that, that's why, you know, you, you had people like, uh, you know, Justin Ruggiano or even Roger Bernardino, who never saw an inning of Major League action, signed nope. just because they simply weren't those players at the, uh, at the uh, major, you know, high in the minor leagues. I mean, you've certainly got uh, two very interesting prospects that'll be at AAA in, in 2016. And, you know, Dominic Smith, who's been on this show, and Ahmad Rosario, um, who, you know, is by you know every known argument I've heard the shortstop of the future for this team, but um, yeah, they don't pitch and they don't play the outfield. So until you figure that part out, uh, yeah, you're going to need to bring some people in from outside the organization, um, and uh, at some point, uh, somebody may need to remind them that Las Vegas actually needs a manager too. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little surprised the move hasn't been announced in that regard yet. I thought. Uh... I thought they might have wanted to get that in place kind of immediately after Wally was fired slash quit. Um, I think they probably wanted to, they would have wanted to just get the little media storm that uh, Wally kicked up nipped in the bud, but I guess they've kind of done that already given all the free agency talks. And of course their biggest free agent being Cespedes, I think that's kind of going to be the domination of our headlines coming into winter meetings. Yeah, and the one thing, as we kind of let, – let's delve into the Cespedes topic here, but uh, let me lead off by saying, is it me or does it feel like the whole hot stove is starting off early this year? Yeah, I saw you tweeting to Adam Rubin about that the other night, and I totally agreed with you that it was uh, – it just feels like moves are coming way faster than I normally recall. And for the year, we haven't even had the, the uh, winter meetings yet, and, and the hot stove is aflame already. It really has felt fast. And if that's the case, if that's how this offseason is going to go, so be it. I'm perfectly fine uh, Christmas dinner knowing exactly or, or almost exactly what my favorite baseball team is going to look like next year. I mean, last year we were talking about things that probably won't get settled until after the winter meetings, and now I'm hearing names like Cespedes and Encarcion being winter meetings at the latest. Yeah, yeah, it is. It does feel super fast this year. And I don't know what is, what is causing that to, to change the market a little bit, but as a baseball fan desperate for news, I'm loving it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one thing I once one suspicion I have heard, and this is probably a question for our good friend Maury, so I'll have to tweet it at him later today. Is the um, 
the possibility that the CBA not being in place yet, that the, there hasn't been an agreement on the CBA. Um, there, by all means, everyone seems to think there will be. There's, I have not heard other than maybe one or two people hint at it slightly who I would not say are in a position of knowledge uh, that a work stoppage is even possible or likely at this point. But it certainly may be with, with the point of knowledge of what is in potentially a new CBA as far as free agents are concerned, it's certainly possible that they're trying to get moves in ahead of it. But uh, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Or it just could be that they're as bored as we are and want to get going with this thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it could be either. The CBA thing's interesting. I, I'm guessing it'll probably – I don't think the work stoppage is going to happen. That's, uh, that's with absolutely no knowledge of the situation. It's just my total gut. I don't think they'd let a work stoppage happen. They certainly wouldn't let one happen that would compromise any actual ball games. But uh, I feel like we'll, it'll be very soon that uh, the CBA will be announced. I'm looking forward to it because that's another thing that as a baseball junkie who is now sitting here, it's November, it's cold out, and I need baseball news. That's something that we'll be able to dive into in depth once it gets announced on the show and probably even have Murray on to discuss more of the details. That I is the plan. Go, yeah, I can't wait to go over it with a fine speed film. It'll be very interesting. One thing I'm also looking forward to is uh, we've got a couple of good guests coming up in the next couple of weeks, including uh, probably one of the coolest ways to wrap up a Thanksgiving weekend uh, that I can think of. We're tentatively going to be joined by one of the coolest stories of 2016 and a great person altogether. Mets reliever Josh Smoker will be rejoining us to talk about his 2016. I got to tell you, EJ, I mean, yeah, I'm biased because we, we, you know, we've kind of gotten attached to the fellow, but uh you know, him and TJ Rivera are really, to me, the, the two unsung hero stories of 2016, the fun ones, to, you know, the really fun ones to follow. And you just, you know, the easy guys to root for. Yeah, and they were guys who were definitely looked like they were falling out of the plans at one point, only to turn around and become uh, kind of like you said, the unsung heroes of the, the latter half of the season. So I can't wait to talk to Josh again and, uh, and just pick his mind about where he thinks he's at moving forward within the organization and just uh, give him props for what he did last year. Absolutely. Also joining us uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, Dr. Salen Parekh. He is a, um, a Duke university um, uh, teacher as well as a orthopedic surgeon. Um, and he's one of the fantasy doctors. I've uh, followed him on Twitter for some time. And this, this is our injury expert, EJ. He is the one to talk to about things. Um, all things injury. In fact, I spoke to him earlier this week via Twitter, and he's very good about answering fan questions. So uh, just follow him on Twitter at MD. And if you can't spell that, just, just hit up uh, who I'm following on tw- Twitter, and you'll see him pretty uh, high up on the list there. Uh, but uh, I did talk to him briefly about Neil Walker uh, with a lot of talk this week about the qualifying offer versus signing him long-term. And I asked the big question, should Met fans be concerned about his back? And he puts what Neil Walker is going through in the league of David Wright. Yeah. That's how serious of a hampering he could be. Yeah. I saw that That exchange. Very nerve wracking. Um, I've never been the biggest proponent of giving Walker a multi-year deal. Anyway, uh, I was all for giving him a qualifying offer this year. Agreed. And, and then taking it from there, seeing what type of production he produces this year. Also, you got to see what type of production you're going to get out of a TJ Rivera to see if, in fact, this guy could be your future second baseman. And, and that's a huge question that I don't think any of us can answer right now. But coming off last year, I think we're all very hopeful that could be the possibility. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I still think – I think Walker will accept the qualifying offer. I don't think he's going to get 
that money anywhere else on a one-year deal. And I'm not sure, given that, that injury that he, he sustained, I'm not sure anybody's willing to give him that multi-year right. So yeah, I'm I think seriously that... considering i got to take that qualifying offer. I mean, the thing about it is, is I mean, maybe, maybe. You, I mean, if I'm the Mets, may, you know, maybe I I can turn I can work a deal if I'm Walker to two years, thirty million, maybe. But I, I don't think he's going to get that kind of money from anybody. One, but the Mets, and two, I I think the Mets would be strongly hesitant to to go more than two years on him. I wouldn't go three, not on a guy Ooh. with a bad back, not on a guy with a bad back that could potentially be rivaling uh, David Wright for time on the DL and time on the uh, trainer's table. And, uh, you know, all, all criticisms of uh, Ray Ramirez aside, um, the, the reality of it is that this is how Ramirez actually earns his dollars. He, he doesn't diagnose people. Thank you very much, people. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board. I don't even know if I'd be on board with a two-year deal. I kind of want to see him prove it to me this year. I want to see him play on the qualifying offer and then – if he has a good year and the Mets have a good year, I'm sure he would be open to talking to them about something beyond that. But yeah, I really, he's not going to get that money elsewhere. So it would totally behoove him to, to accept that offer. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, the thing about it is I think if, if he refuses the qualifying offer, I think you find somebody like Neil Walker signing with the Mets or somebody else around about February 1st, although the way the market's going right now, it could be January 1st, I suppose uh, for two years, 8 million or something like that. I mean, that's the kind of yep. deal he's going to get uh, or one yeah. year with an option, a vesting option. Um, I think that would be the, you know, if you're going to go multi-year with uh, Neil Walker, I'd want some vesting options in there, not player options, not team options, vesting options. Uh, you know, make, yeah. him, make him play. I, I like him. I want him out there. That Him being out there requires he be healthy, though. So, yeah, I mean, that's, absolutely. that's exactly the other thing going. It will tie these two things as we kind of wrap up the show, but I, People are going to be screaming at us if we don't discuss this real fast. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the dual-headed monster of Ioannis Cespedes and Jay Bruce, has, uh, there certainly was a, a strong rumor out of Toronto today that the uh, Blue Jays are making a run at Jay Bruce. Mind you, not Ioannis Cespedes. And what does that mean as far as the Mets and Cespedes? Now, several people who had earlier said they think, uh, they think that um, Cespedes is going to the Yankees or the Giants or the Nationals. All of them seem to be changing their tune and saying they think he's going to wind up back with the Mets. Is it closer than we think? You know, it, it sounds like it might be. I, I know Jim Bowden predicted that he's going back to the Mets the other day. Um, I feel like it could be, but I just don't, I don't know, man, because we've seen it so many times before where you think a guy's going to sign somewhere and the, then all of a sudden the Jason Worth contract happens out of nowhere in Washington. We were like, how the heck did that guy get that much money that many by an owner who must be insane? So that's why I can't, I can't let myself get comfortable that it's close. And I also can't get myself comfortable that if it is close, what's the number? That's been, that's been driving me nuts this offseason. Somebody on Twitter the other day, what contract would Cespedes have to sign elsewhere for you to say, you know what, that's, that's crazy, I'm glad the Mets weren't in on it. And I saw numbers that were super high, like $200 million. For me right now, I don't want to go more than four years on Cespedes unless that fifth year would be optional. I, I don't want to give him more than four years being north of 30. And as far as money, 
you want to throw four years, $125 million at him? I think that's fair. I think once you start getting north of that 125 number, you're overspending for Cespedes. You know, I think the thing about it is, is I, I think that uh, going going at it, attacking it similarly to what you did this year is the key to Cespedes. And I, I, I think the reality of it is it accomplishes two things. Uh, if I'm the Mets, I'm offering a significant raise, but the same deal. Three-year deal, one-year opt-out. Because, again, you know, there are people that say that once he gets the long-term deal, he is going to rest on his laurels. This will keep him from doing that. Now, I said last year, EJ, on this very show, I wouldn't give him more than four years. So to be honest and true to that, after one year has passed, I got to stick with three. Now, I'm open to three years and a four-year th- fourth-year option. Uh, I was always open to an option year. Uh, I think even last year I was. But f- five years is too much for me. I, I couldn't do it. Um, and I think anything more than I, – I mean, he got, what, nearly 27 this year, $27 million? Yeah, yep. I, I would see it tough to go north of 30 with him. I'd see it tough to go north of 30. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. That I would be really, really tough. I mean, that – you know. But the problem is, at least for, at least for you know, the competition, who really is giving out deals like that right now? Nobody. Yeah, I, I'm willing to go north of 30, but you have to reduce years. So it's like, yeah. however, maybe call it in 5 billion increments. So for every 5 billion more you get in, uh, in money, you reduce a year. So if you guys want to say, okay, we're going to give them 35 a year, but it's a three-year deal, I could live with that. But I oh. agree, I, there's, there's got to be options on him. I agree with you that he, if he gets that long-term deal and just kind of puts it onto cruise control, man – that's just a nightmare. I mean, I, I won't kill Jason Bay because at least Jason Bay was trying to was killing himself trying to get that. But the Mets cannot have an albatross contract like that. They have one right now with David Wright. They can't have another one just like that. That's just hanging around their necks and the player is not performing. Cespedes. Well, I mean, and the nice thing about Wright is at least. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Look, he came here with so much of a stigma around him about the type of player he was and the type of person he was at the clubhouse, and all he's done since he's been here is completely defend himself from those claims and prove them absolutely ludicrous. So I think it would really it would kill the Mets fans and it killed the front office if all of a sudden those rumors about him turned out to be true because it's a long-term deal. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think I think there there is a balance. I mean, the reality of it is, I do think that if the Mets lose Cespedes, they will do their best to replace him. Are there replacements out there? Yes. Is acquiring them going to be painful? Uh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. want to try and keep the guy you have. Uh, I mean, because you just look at somebody like a Kutch, for example. I mean, you may be able to get Andrew McCutcheon, who had an off year. You may be able to buy low on him. It's very possible that the Pirates are willing to say bye bye a year and a half before he hit or two years before he hits the open market. But if you think you're going to get out of there with Ahmed Rosario and Dominic Smith um, without either of them leaving the organization or both of them, you're kidding yourself big time. And they're going to want a pitcher. And I can tell you right now, Gazelman and Lugo are not good enough. And if they're not trading into the big five, you're going to have to find somebody else to join the dance. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is the, the solution to just throw money at it really applies here. If you can just throw money at the problem to, to 
acquire, be it Cespedes or someone else on the free agent market, okay. But once you start giving, getting into the scenario where you have to replace Cespedes' bat via trade, you are going to take a huge haircut as far as the players you're going to be giving up. Yeah, it's it's not going to be pretty. It's it's going to be criticized, and, and to an extent, rightfully so. You may even wind up with a player better than Cespedes, because you know, despite what some Met fans think, those exist. Um, the the reality is, though, this is the guy you've got. He's only going to cost you money. Um, you got to do it. I mean, you got to you got to make every reasonable effort to do it. I'll put it that way. Because again, I am a spend but spend wisely kind of kind of fan. Um, I want to see the Mets spend when they need to, but by no means do I want to see them break the bank over one guy. Yeah, I mean, the good thing is it's Sandy giving out the contract and not Omar. So Sandy right. has never been the type to to throw all of his eggs into one basket. He's a guy who loves to have a little left in the war chest to make those little sneaky pickup moves midseason or end of spring training. So you know he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't blow the whole budget on one guy. So that said, though, I hope I hope there's enough goodwill from the last two years in Cespedes that he would want to come back and he wouldn't have too high of an expectations on the contract and he would be willing to negotiate with Sandy to do what's mutually beneficial for both him and the organization. I just hope the last couple of years built up that good goodwill between him and the, the organization. I certainly hope so, too. The one nice thing, again, is it's not going to drag out until January. It doesn't seem that we should have a resolution here in the next couple of weeks, hopefully. And obviously, uh, I think it goes without saying, we'll continue to follow the story. Yeah, and it makes it's great for us, for the show, to, to hopefully have new material to talk about every week with uh, moves falling as rapidly as they are. It just will give us nothing to talk about in January, so I'll have to come up with some authors. <laughs> How about we talk politics? No! <laughs> we have Facebook for that, man. <laughs> well, my friend, it has felt really good being behind the wheel again and uh, back with you on a Sunday evening. It, uh certainly appreciate your time. And uh, our, those, are those, those who are listening, he's alive or um, Memorex, as uh, us old folks would say. But uh, good to be back with you, my friend. Yeah, you as well. I'm looking forward to... Uh... What's already been a hot, hot stove getting even hotter as uh, the moves just keep falling. And obviously, yeah, we'll, do emer- we'll do emergency show if one calls for it. Oh, yeah. I, you know, ho- hopefully, it is not a postmortem on U.N. Uh, Cespedes signing somewhere else. Um, actually, probably won't do one there. I just, I just, I don't, nah, think, I could, nah. I don't think I could do that one. But uh, one certainly, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just, that's, that's not going to be good. That's not going to be a good time right there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, certainly looking forward to any, uh, good shows we have coming up. And I think I'm going to go out on a limb, EJ, I'm going to make a bold prediction. I usually make them during the season. I'm going to say that we do at least one bonus show during the winter meetings this year. Oh, I hope so. I really hope so. Cause typically in the history of this show, bonus shows are good things. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to hope your prediction is 100% accurate. I hope so too. It could be a late one, though, because I think it's on my coast this year. <laughs> ah, nice. Enjoy. <laughs> you get to get, get that real-time feel a little more for you. Exactly. Well, my friend, appreciate it. Uh, certainly appreciate uh, everyone listening, and we'll have another show next week. Uh, check us out on 
the Twitter at the Real Who for me and the Happy Recap for EJ. Um, and uh, we'll also have information as the week goes on as to who the guest will be working on that right now. And like I said, in a couple of weeks, got Josh Smoker joining us, Dr. Selena Parekh, um, and oh, about a half a dozen others that we're uh, in the process of working on. So hopefully we'll keep you entertained all winter long, and hopefully so will the Mets with all the offseason moves. Until next week, let's go Mets!